This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone, athletes, celebs, and much more. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Average Savage podcast. Our special guest today is Jordan Norwood. Jordan, how's it going? I'm doing well, doing great, man. How are you doing, Paul? Good. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's just go back in time a little bit. Uh, how? What was it like your first memory of playing football? Oh, man. Um, goodness, back in time, for real. My first memory of playing football. Um, so my dad's a college football coach, um, and he has been uh, pretty much my whole life, uh, just about. But uh, my first memory is in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I started playing flag football. And um, it's actually running out. So you know how in like youth football, you'll run out of like a piece of paper. The team will run out um, uh, like in a line of cheerleaders and you'll run out in the middle. Uh, so we ran through the piece of paper and I was in the back and I tripped and fell and busted my mouth open on the like as somebody's cleat was kicking up. Um, so that's that's my first that's my first memory. <laughs> that's my first memory. Uh, a, a bloody lip. And then I, I saw on your Wikipedia page you were you were born in Hawaii. I was, yeah. So my my dad played uh, college football at University of Hawaii. Uh, my mom is born and raised Hawaii. All of our families from there. And uh, yeah, yep. Yeah, I was born in Hawaii. That's dope. So how how long were you like there for? Um, I was there till I was about six years old. Gotcha. Yeah. Have you have you gone back since? Uh, yeah, we've we've been back quite a bit. Um, used to go back pretty much every year there for a while, but um, at this point, it's been I think it's been about five years, five or six years since I've been back to Hawaii. So, need to make that happen. That's dope. Uh, just, I mean, I always wanted to visit Hawaii. Never never been there. Um, I remember I did like a project in like I don't even know like the sixth grade or something about Hawaii. So, I don't really remember it, but yeah, I did it. So yeah, <laughs> it's a good spot. <laughs> It's a good spot. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, so then just tell me about your, your football career uh, in terms of, like, uh, recruiting process out of high school. Uh, yeah, so there wasn't a huge process for me. Um, I was a uh, – first of all, somebody that bounced around quite a bit uh, in, my, in high school. So I went to high school um, in Texas and then in, in Pennsylvania. Um, so that kind of affects your recruiting a little bit. But I was also, uh, like – five nine 145 pounds my senior year of high school so um, not heavily recruited um, also played basketball in high school and we won a state championship in basketball um, in Pennsylvania so I, I got got some looks for basketball um, and really if I wouldn't have gone I ended up going to Penn State if I wouldn't have gone to Penn State um, I would have went to Bucknell University and played football and basketball um, that was probably my my biggest opportunity um, and then Penn State kind of came in late and, you know, offered me the opportunity to uh, do what's called gray shirting there um, for football. Um, so I, I took that opportunity. Yeah, for sure. What was your what was your time like at Penn State, like on and off the field? Uh, it was great, man. I mean, first of all, I got there, you know, undersized and um and all that and, and took a took a year for me to you know put on some weight and muscle uh for me to be even be able to get on the football field um but yeah being a, a kid my dad was on the coaching staff at the time so I was you know basically a, a local kid 
I went to high school, uh, my last couple years of high school, you know, right down the street from Penn State. Um, so already, um, you know, kind of had a little friend group. Um, a lot of kids from my high school also also go to Penn State um, because of that proximity. But um, yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, there's there's nothing like, um, you know, a Penn State football whiteout, um, you know, 110,000 fans. Um, there's also nothing like, um, you know, just going to school and, and being in a social environment with a lot of people that I went to high school with. Um, so it was, it was a pretty unique experience, um, you know, all while having my parents right down the road, too, if I needed a home cooked meal or some laundry or anything like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. What was it? What was it like uh, being coached by Joe Paterner, the legendary? Uh, it, incredible, man. I mean, legendary is, um, you know, there's probably a better word than legendary that, that we can find because he's, I mean, just one of a kind, man. He just um, not only from the coaching aspect, I mean, he was, you know, all of 80 years old while I, while I was, uh, when I was there at Penn State and he was, you know, out on the field, uh, every single practice, uh, coaching people, hollering at people, um, you know, doing his best to show people physically how, you know, a certain technique needed to be done. Um, but aside from that, just an incredibly personable person, somebody that cared a lot about um, individual humans, whether they were coaches or staff or uh, or football players, student athletes. Um, he just cared a lot. And, um, you know, actually my sophomore year at was it or the end of my freshman year at Penn State, uh, I came into Joe's office to ask him if if he would let me play basketball because uh, I wanted to play basketball also at Penn State. And um, the the basketball team invited me to I was like an invited walk on to play. And, you know, I was I was scared. I thought Joe was going to, like, get mad at me and say no way. But he was like, yeah, you know, after this this next football season, if your grades are still up, then go for it. Um, so, I mean, that was. I always thought that was pretty cool of him to to react that way and to give me that, um, you know, opportunity to play basketball, which I really wanted. Yeah, that's dope. I, I like when you were saying that. I was expecting him to say like, "Hell no!" <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, wait. So, did you end up doing that? Yeah, yeah. I ended up playing basketball at Penn State um, after my sophomore um, football season. I went and played the basketball team. Uh, we weren't very good on at basketball. Uh, didn't win one game. By the time I got there, we didn't win one game, so um, I didn't contribute much. But gotcha. I was out there. That's so cool. You could still say you were a two sport athlete in college, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, going back to Joe Paterno, like as you as like a boss leader now, uh, owner of a of an NFT company, like what what have you taken from him from a leadership position? Yeah, there, there's quite a bit. Um, and I'll, I'll see if I can put some of it into words, but um, I would say his how personable, like I mentioned, he is and just how he remembered um, people and always took note. Like after conversations, he had a notepad. He was taking notes about the per the person, no matter who it was um, that he just had a conversation with. And, you know, he was intentional, basically, um, you know, about his relationships, which. Uh, which is something that I try to emulate. Um, and then as, aside from that, or along with that, is, is the punctuality. There's something um, at Penn State, if we had a team meeting at, you know, 11 p.m. Uh, or 11 a.m., goodness, um, 11 a.m., 
the meeting was usually over by 11, 11 a.m. We had to be there in the team meeting room, you know, by 10.40, 10.45, and Joe would be there waiting for us, and we'd get started as soon as as soon as everybody was in the in the room, and we'd usually finish by 11. So um, it, was, it was really cool to um, to experience punctuality in that way, and, um, you know, that's something I've tried to carry over, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then just did you did you always want to be like an NFL player? Was that your goal? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say so. Um, I think my goals were were a little more short sighted than that. You know, things like winning the next football game, making, you know, being a starter, um, you know, running the right route in a play. I mean, my, my, my goals were a little more short sighted and it wasn't until my my junior year at Penn State. Um, I played as a freshman, played as a sophomore, uh, but for some, for some reason it didn't click in my head that the NFL was a real possibility, um, you know, until my junior year when I started to see, um, you know, some of my teammates, uh, had one teammate that left early after their junior year, uh, Justin King. And I was like, well, well, I mean, if Justin's leaving, I guess I should start thinking about, you know, if the NFL is in the cards for me. So, um, Yeah. Gotcha. And then um, <clears throat> you went to the, the NFL Combine and um, you, you went undrafted, but then you, you did get on a team. So what was that whole process like? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, a, a long kind of ongoing process, to be honest. I mean, the NFL Combine is one thing. Um, you know, I did all right. I didn't do great at the Combine. I don't, I'm not like a Combine guy. Like I don't, have you know the height and weight and uh you know bench press even the 40 time didn't have a great 40 time so um you know my my abilities show better on a football field or a basketball court than you know in a lab where people are measuring you um so so yeah i go undrafted uh ended up end up signing with the cleveland browns as a rookie um undrafted free agent um actually end up getting cut in cleveland my rookie year go to Philadelphia, uh, try to make the, t or mid-year I go to Philadelphia and I'm on their practice squad. Uh, and then the next season, my, my second year in the NFL, I get cut in Philadelphia. Um, so basically without going too far into how much I was cut and re-signed and cut and re-signed, um, there's a lot of that. So uh, when it comes to making a football team, it's not something that, you know, just happened once and, you know, then, you know, my NFL career was set or something. I had to make a football team every single year for each of the, um, you know, each of the eight years I was, you know, trying to make it in the NFL. So, um, you know, really just an ongoing, um, you know, perseverance battle of, of trying to make football teams. Yeah. And then like, what were you like, so since you weren't like, say, quote unquote, like focused on making the NFL, like you were just kind of mentioned, like, w did you have something that you were already working on too, like job wise or entrepreneurship wise? Um, well, I mean, I I wasn't focused my first couple of years in college. I, I would say by my junior year, um, my junior year in college, I was um, my track my my track of mind was only on the NFL. Um, I was an advertising major and um, uh, graphic and did some graphic design. I didn't finish that degree, but um, in college also. So kind of my it wasn't really a backup plan because there was no plan here, but um, you know, I, I did envision myself, you know, owning like a boutique advertising agency, um, you know, that did a, little, a lot of graphic design work for, um, you know, 
companies and brands. Um, so that, that is something that I always kind of envisioned for myself at some point. Dope. Um, yeah. And then you, you played for the Broncos and, and you won Super Bowl 50 um, with Peyton Manning. Uh, what, what was that whole experience like playing with Peyton Manning, winning the Super Bowl? Uh, incredible. <laughs> it was, it was incredible, man. I mean, uh, from, from being on, um, you know, rosters that, um, you know, never went to the playoffs or, um, you know, being on, you know, the Cleveland Browns for three years and, and not really having an opportunity to play much, first of all, um, but also not winning very many games, uh, to then, you know, transition over to the, the Broncos and, uh, you know, somehow find myself in a, um, you know, starting slot receiver position with the Broncos, um, winning games and obviously going to the Super Bowl and winning it um, alongside, you know, players like Peyton Manning and Von Miller and Demarcus Ware um, and Demarius Thomas, you know, is, is incredible. I mean, um, and, you know, off the field, getting to know those guys and befriend those guys, um, you know, is also something that I'll cherish, you know, for the rest of my life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like uh, most pros that retire say they like the thing they miss the most is the camaraderie yeah yeah i mean there's there's nothing like it and i think another reason that they say that is is because uh pro sports are grueling man i mean it takes a lot of um you know physical time and energy but also takes you know just a mental fortitude that um i honestly don't really wish on anybody it's 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 a tough uh tough industry to to survive in um, and sometimes you're just doing that, just, just surviving. Um, so yeah, when I, when I look back on my sports career, uh, that's not the part I miss. I miss, I miss the locker room. I miss my teammates. Um, and you know, just some of the off the field memories that, that always bring me joy. Yeah, definitely. Um, who, who was your, who was the quarterback that, that, uh, threw your first touchdown? Oh man. My first touchdown was caught from Colt McCoy. Um, so Colt McCoy in Cleveland, um, threw me my first touchdown against, uh, since at Cincinnati. Yeah. That's dope. I was, I was kind of like testing you there. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. It's a, it's a good memory to, to retrieve. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and then, so you, you retired young, obviously. And, um, and what, like what were, before NFTs, like, what were you, what were you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm before NFT. So I retired in 2017, uh, from the NFL at that point. Um, I had just started kind of digging into a photography career. Um, so even towards the end of my NFL career, I picked up a camera. Uh, my wife, uh, actually bought me a camera, uh, one year when I tore my ACL and I got, got pretty heavy into photography. Um, so I was like a guy that would bring my camera on road trips in the NFL so when everybody's like in their suits and, you know, dress real nice about to get on the plane, they would say, hey, Jordan, can you take a couple pictures for me? Uh, so I would take pictures of, you know, my teammates. I would hop on the plane, uh, throw the memory card in my computer, you know, edit the pictures real quick and, and send them off to, you know, all my teammates all before we took off, um, you know, in that like 15 minutes before we took off um, so that my teammates could post their pictures on Instagram or whatever. Um, so I was pretty heavy into photography, um, you know, as I transitioned uh, out of the NFL. Um, also was into cryptocurrency at that point, um, you know, had already made some, you know, investments and started to learn what it looked like to uh, trade cryptocurrency there back in 2016. 
17. And, um, you know, I think those kind of two, you know, the creative outlet with graphic design, photo editing and, and photography, along with, um, you know, the growing knowledge of blockchain and cryptocurrencies, um, you know, obviously kind of led me into NFTs and Web3 as we know it now. Yeah. Obviously, since I, I know you a little bit, it all adds up in my head and it makes sure. sense. Um, <clears throat> that's dope that you were doing that, too, because I'm sure, you know, like that's a huge thing. Now, the the photos, the walk in photos are like <laughs> right. literally like that's like someone's whole job now, apparently. Right. Uh, so you were kind of doing that before anyone was doing that. So that's dope. Um, all right. So tell me going into the NFT journey. Tell me a little bit about how you got into NFTs and then tell me what your first NFT purchase was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically, I mean, I basically got into NFTs, I mean, most tangibly from my older brother, um, who's, who's a professional athlete, uh, plays basketball overseas. Um, you know, he, he kind of started, um, you know, telling me a little bit more about NFTs back in 2000, uh, late 2020, early 2021. Um, you know, while I was still playing football, I heard about, you know, Crypto Kitties and you know, I was wondering what exactly is going on, how this fits in with blockchain and crypto and um, and all that. But um, yeah, you know, summer 2021, um, you know, I'm, I'm still chatting with my older brother um, and we both decide to, to get into a project called Mars Cats Voyage, um, which is, a you know, still one of my favorite projects. But uh, that, that was the first project that I minted. Uh, Mars Cats Voyage, which was it was like a 0.04 ETH mint at the time, and um, you know, I mean, I had the the juices flowing, and I minted like eight or nine or ten of them. I who even knows, but um, you know, still still an awesome project, still kicking and um, doing some st- cool stuff with their video game over at Mars Cats. Um, so that yeah, that was my first project, and um, you know, soon after that, I minted. Uh, the humanoids and, you know, maybe a couple other projects before going, you know, headfirst into the whitelist aces, uh, which is the project that I founded and, um, you know, stopped really having time for much else after that. Yeah, definitely. And then, yeah, one, what made you want to create your own project? And then two, how did, how did you come up with the, the whitelist aces? Um, yeah, so, I mean, in terms of wanting to create my own project, I mean, just super into the space. Um, you know, I'm a, a collector at heart. Also, I grew up collecting trading cards, uh, as an adult started collecting sneakers. Um, so I am a collector at heart also. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to, uh, create an NFT membership that, um, you know, focused on in real life utility that, you know, also had awesome art. So, um, I didn't see many brands or projects out there that had, um, you know, this trio of awesome art um, and awesome community and awesome utility um, in real life utility specifically, um, you know, which I think Board Ape, which is the reason that Board Ape is is so, um, you know, reputable because they have that trio. Um, you know, I saw a lot of projects that had great art, um, but no utility or, um, you know, a great community and cool utility, but the art was kind of like so-so. Um, so it was really just trying to create this uh, brand and project that that had those three things. Um, and in terms of the whitelist uh, specifically, um, you know, just looking for, um, you know, a, 
we're really like seeing this word, the whitelist, that, you know, there's some combativeness um, around, um, you know, racial combativeness, combativeness around the word whitelist and really wanted to take that word and um, kind of flip it on its head and say, hey, I'm a black founder, black and Filipino founder. And, you know, I can use this word and like it's no big deal, like. Um, just wanted to stand up on it and, and say, you know, I, I kind of retake this word and uh, we're going to use it as our brand name. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the basis for the Whitelist Aces collection. Um, you know, the word Aces came later. It's it's a, a word coined by one of our uh, Discord members. We kind of voted on what we would call our character and we decided to call them Aces, uh, which we, we decided is short for access. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of the way we're running with it. Yeah, that's dope. And then how, how long was the process, um, like from thinking about the name and then creating all the art and then like the launch, like how many months or yeah, how many months did that take? Yeah. So, um, the, the timeline of, um, that process for me was, uh, really cre I mean, I, I kind of created like a really short white paper um, approach to artists um, that I was just enamored with that um, Benny, uh, Benjamin Cole and Daniel Grohotolsky, uh, they're both um, located in, in Munich in Germany. Um, they do a project and had already launched a project called The Drops, uh, which the artwork of I was just, um, you know, in awe of and, and you know, they're basically the individuals that I tapped to be a part of uh, the whitelist and kind of lead the art direction. Um, so I, you know, got in contact with them through DM, just hounding them. And uh, eventually they got on a call with me. I, you know, kind of explained my vision and they were like, okay, sure. Like, cool. Um, you know, a week or two goes by, I don't hear from them. And I'm like, okay, I don't think that, you know, I came strong enough. And um, so I put together like this 25 page uh, white paper, basically, that was put together really nicely, um, you know, used as much of my graphic design skills as I could, um, you know, got them back on a call and they were like, OK, we see the vision now, um, you know, we're in. Um, and so that's how they became, became uh, my creative director and art, art director, um, respectively. Um, and yeah, that was um, that was late October 2021. Um, by by about you know December 1st 2021, we had a lot of the artwork um, you know decided on, not quite created, but decided on. Um, There's, I mean, so much learning that had to happen, um, so much time and money that I didn't realize needed to be spent to to accomplish something like this, but. Um, but in all, it was, you know, about a, a four month process, three month process. Uh, we, we minted on January 31st, 2022. Um, so that's about, um, you know, four months from conception to, um, you know, having all the NFTs ready and, and the smart contract ready and, and going to mint. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say that's pretty fast. It was um, really fast. <laughs> and, uh, in terms of like the people that don't know, like web three and whatever you want to call this NFT world, like everything moves extremely fast. Um, so that's also just like crazy thing. So how, how long didn't you, you guys sold down like 24 hours or 48 hours? Uh, less than that. So we, we had a, like a pre-sale whitelist sale that was 12 hours long. Um, 
And so 12 hours of whitelist sale, which sold about um, 65% of our uh, 10,000 piece collection. And then when we opened it up to the public sale at the end of that, it sold the, the remaining, um, you know, whatever, 35% or so sold out in about three or four minutes. Um, so the pu if we're looking at public sale, we sold out in like five minutes. Um, but you know, with the whitelist sale there, um, it, it took about 12 hours. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and then what, what was like, um, the road say like, what was your roadmap like originally? And then how much has it like changed since? Yeah. I mean, so the roadmap originally was, um, you know, focused on in real life, um, sporting events and opportunities, um, as well as travel events or not travel events, but travel, um, opportunities, whether it be lodging or airfare and those sorts of things, um, all opportunities focused at people coming together in real life, um, and spending time together. Right. Um, the days and weeks following mint are just straight up chaos. Um, you know, with people, um, that I have no idea who they are, um, complaining about, you know, why hasn't this NFT doubled in price? um in value immediately um so you you know basically as a founder you quickly realize that uh the people that um, you thought were buying into your vision um you know long-term vision for you know this aces membership um, were were not they were really just buying into speculation um and when you didn't you know fulfill their speculative desires um you know they're looking for an exit um at any cost so um you know, anyways, in, in terms of how the roadmap has shifted, um, you know, it hasn't really shifted a whole lot. Uh, some of the ways we execute it ha has shifted. You know, we haven't, um, we have not relied on um, the opinion of, you know, some random person in some random part of the world that isn't really interested in the utility of this project, um, you know, at first we were really relying on their opinion to direct, um, you know, some of the utility we, prov we would provide. Um, but when we, you know, quickly learned that they didn't really care about the utility, um, so far as to say it in increased the floor price, uh, for example, you know, we started to kind of take the project back into, you know, our, um, and by our, I mean myself and, um, you know, my teammates vision and, and really start to, um, you know, hone in on, uh, you know, those sporting events and, and travel opportunities um, and kind of get back to the, the root of all that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's definitely an interesting world and journey as I experience it too. Obviously, you know, working for MetaFans and things like that. And just, yeah, it's just a, like a lot of a weird thing. Like, yeah, like one person, it might just be like one person that says like X and then, but like the majority of people say that. And then that one person's not happy. But basically in the end, just like in life in general, you can't make everybody happy. Absolutely. <laughs> it is a, a great, a great uh, phrase to live by. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and then tell me a little bit about how you guys acquired the big three team power. Um, and then how did like, I think you guys did a vote, correct? With the community? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we vote on a lot of things um, and, and we're definitely voting on a lot of things there. Um, last spring, as we had, you know, this community wallet and we were watching, um, you know, the value of ETH plummet. Um, so we're like, you know, how what what can we put this community, um, you know, these funds into? Um, so, you know, we, we voted on, you know, things like buying a board ape, um, 
you know, which we didn't do, buying a Clonex, which we did do. Um, and, you know, one of the things that was, you know, pretty early on in our ethos and kind of desires was, you know, owning a sports franchise. We, you know, we always said, how cool would, would it be if, um, you know, we could own, you know, a piece of a team. And, you know, we thought that that would be something that was, you know, five years off down the road. Um, you know, we would maybe be able to scrounge up enough, you know, cash to be a minority owner in an NBA team or, um, you know, NFL team or something or MLS team even. Um, but, you know, this opportunity presented itself with the big three. They started uh, launching what they call their fire tier NFTs, uh, which represent ownership in, you know, in their um, in their teams. And, um, you know, we saw Snoop Dogg, um, you know, press release come out that Snoop Dogg's bought a team. You know, a couple of days later, a press release comes out that um, Gary V buys a team, then um, then Kraushaus Dow, then, um, you know, the Moonbirds. Um, then there's, you know, a group of Basie board ape holders that bought a team. So, um, you know, we're just, you know, trying to get in like, um, you know, I have a couple a couple friends uh, that play in, in the big three. So I, I tap them and, you know, hey, who can I who can I contact at the big three to, um, you know, kick the tires on on the whitelist aces uh, purchasing the necessary uh, NFTs for ownership. And, um, you know, we, we went back and forth a few times. We, um, you know, felt like the deal was, you know, lost a couple times. And this is all over the course of two weeks. Um, but, yeah, we, we found our way in. And, um, you know, a big portion of uh, that deal was uh, finalized with the with the with our whitelist ACES community wallet. Um, and then, you know, a few we had to piece together. Um, a little bit more of the funding. So that, that came from me personally, um, a couple other investors, and we were able to piece together enough, um, you know, cash to be able to, to acquire the power, uh, which we're super, super, super happy about uh, and excited about. So, yeah, I mean, I, well, one, I've been following the big three, and I think it's like a cool concept, uh, bringing old players and new players and like, you know, maybe players from overseas uh, into the into the fold. And uh, like old player, and then like the the managers and things like that, like Nancy Lieberman. Nancy Lieberman is your guys's, um, so that's like cool. And then you guys went. I think the Power won before too, the, like the championship. Yeah, the the Power won. Um, I think it was in the second season. Power won the championship. Uh, then we went back to the championship this year and, and lost um, to Trilogy. And I mean, but it was just an incredible opportunity and. Um, exciting experience to say the least to um you know have a way for our nft community and membership to get together and kind of rally behind a team and um you know acquiring that team early in the summer literally a week before the season started um you know was cool and all but you know we didn't really have an opportunity to make the team our own or um you know monetize any of the um, exposure that the team gets um, I mean, because the big three gets, you know, incredible viewership on CBS uh, and they just renewed their deal with CBS. So, I mean, they get like 500,000 to over over a million people. Uh, we're watching our, our big three championship game. So there's big opportunity there, um, you know, from a sponsorship endorsement, um, you know, branding perspective um, that we're really looking to take advantage of this uh, this upcoming season. So uh, do the players stay on the team or they get re redrafted in the pool? 
Uh, both. So there's there's a couple of players that are deemed uh, captains and co-captains uh, that we have um, we have the chance to retain on a yearly basis, and then um, the other there's uh, five players on a team total. Uh, the other two or three players get put back into the draft pool, um, or not the draft pool, but the I'll call it the free agent pool. And you know we have the opportunity to to add from that pool um, to the remainder of our roster. Gotcha. So that's that's going to be cool this off season, then. Yeah, we'll see, man. I mean, we'll see what you know what guys aren't on NBA rosters, um, right? I mean, I know the name Dwight Howard is getting kicked around a bit. Like, um, you know, it, it'll be really cool and interesting to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Are you gonna are you gonna do that uh, voting style as well? Um. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, um, you know, another cool thing is that we get to name, like, CEO and general manager of the team. Um, so, you know, our, our GM will have a little bit more uh, power on, on who that, um, you know, who these additions are to our team that, um, that we're making. But, uh, I mean, it's definitely going to be an, an exciting process. Um, we want to get back to the championship. Like, it's, that's what it's about for us. It's winning games and going to the championship. Um, so we're, we're not, you know, we might not be looking for the flashy name and if they're, if they're not the name that can, you know, bring us wins. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then what, what does the future look like for the, the whitelist aces? Uh, yeah, so we, I mean, currently we're, we're finishing up our staking contract, uh, where people will be able to stake, um, their ACE NFT, which is basically, uh, putting their ACE NFT, into another wallet um, that's controlled by our team uh, or it's actually controlled by a staking contract and earning what we're calling keys, uh, which are coins that they can earn to spend on our marketplace. Uh, so we're building that whole infrastructure out uh, right now and uh, the staking contract is actually finished, uh, just finishing the user interface. Um, and then on a more tangible level, uh, we're working on uh, sponsorships, endorsement deals with our big three uh, power team, uh, which will uh, create uh, revenue for our community wallet. Um, and we're also building a, uh, we're minority owners in a vacation rental in Tulum, Mexico that will finish in February, uh, which will have, you know, exclusive days for um, ACE holders to book stays there. Uh, they'll use these key coins uh, that they'll earn from staking their ACE to book stays in Tulum. Um, and we'll look to purchase and uh, invest in more vacation rental properties around the world, um, you know, in 2023 also. Uh, at least that's, that's the plan is to find a new city, uh, whether it's Lisbon or Singapore, um, you know, or Johannesburg, um, you know, find, find a couple more cities to invest in over the next uh, two and three years. Gotcha. And then, um, what a curious question, like, have you tried to get any of your former teammates into NFTs and they're just like, or nah, like, nah. Um, yeah, well, first of all, yes, I have. Um, I think some of it, uh, I mean, it's, it's a difficult, um, it's a difficult sell sometimes, but I mean, we, ha we have, we have a lot of guys, um, and females in our, in our membership at this point. Um, you know, how active they are is a different story. Um, but I think it just comes down to, you know, creating utility that is valuable to them, you know, which is why we're looking at these, 
um, properties in, in desirable um, vacation towns and cities. Um, you know, if I go to, you know, a former teammate, I won't say, I won't even say a name, but if I, if I go to a former teammate and say, hey, you know, you know, make sure you stake your NFT and here's the instructions on how to do that um, and make sure you do this so that you can, you know, book, you know, your stay in, at our house in Tulum whenever you want to, um, you know, that's an easier sell than, um, you know, make sure you stake your NFT so you can get whitelist to this other NFT project. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, that's just not a whole lot of value to somebody that doesn't uh, necessarily care, care about the NFT game uh, like a lot of us do. So we're, we're working that out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had, like, I think, you know, I work with athletes, so I had, like, when the, you know, when it was at the high point, everyone was, like, hit me up to, like, make their own NFTs and do all that stuff. And I was like, it's not, it's not like, it's not like selling a t-shirt. Like, right. that's what they were, like, kind of thinking. Um, so I had to, you know, explain it to them and take a step back. But, yeah, it's just an interesting uh, world anyways in general, as you know. Um, right. Are you ready for some fun questions? Absolutely, man. Let's do it. All right. Who's, who's uh, let's say, like, who's, like, a couple players that you wish you played with? Say, like, a quarterback that you wish you, like, caught a ball from. Um, great question. I wish I would have – I think it would have been cool <laughs> – for some reason, I just think it would be cool to play with Philip Rivers. Um, I just think his personality is, I just, it's just one that I want to see up close. Um, he's always somebody that was like, you know, yelling at the referees or, um, you know, very emotional player. So I think that would have been cool. Um, more historically, I would have loved to um, play with uh, Randall Cunningham. Dope, dope. Um, I, I think you said you were a sneakerhead, right? Uh, I was a recovering sneakerhead for a while, <laughs> and now I'm now I'm getting back in the game. Like literally, just right. as of as of a year All ago. Right, so, so give me your top five like favorite sneakers. Uh, top five favorite sneakers. Um, I'm going to go with um, Nike Hirachis, uh, basketball Hirachis, uh, not the running shoes, uh, the basketball Hirachis, the original Hirachis. Um, Air Jordan 3 Dornbachers, um, that all red pair of Jordan 3s. Um, let's go with Cool Gray 11s, uh, Air Jordan 11s, Cool Gray. Um, my number one pair of shoes is Steel Gray Air Jordan 10s. Those are my, my first... Um, my first pair pair of Jordans was uh, were tens uh, back when I was probably like in fourth grade. Um, and last pair of sneakers to round out um, a top five would be I'm gonna go with Kobe's Crazy Eights, um, a pair that I never have had. But the I would Adidas, Adidas ones, right? Adidas Crazy Eights. Yeah. All right. So, that's dope. Um, I'm, I I like Jordan Fives and and ones, and I just got. Uh, yeah. I've been wanting them. The LeBron Retro Twos just came out, so I just oh, picked up those. That's a great pair of shoes yeah. too. Like I think those are the most ones that are like look like you could actually wear instead of not because you know like all the basketball shoes are like actually performance shoes now instead of like right. sneakers. Yeah, yeah, casual so, sneakers. Yeah, so I'm excited to wear those there. I got them in the the navy blue and 
and white, so I'm a Yankees fan. So like, nice, man. I get those. Yeah, I did have those back in the day. All right, got rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last question: What is, what's your favorite like uh, like cheat meal? Cheat meal? Yeah. Um, let's go with. I mean, is is ramen noodles a cheat meal? I think so. Yeah, I think instant ramen. I, I like ramen, but the cheat meal version is just instant ramen. Um, so that's what I'm going to go with. Oh, no. Oh, you thought I said cheap. I said cheat meal. Cheat. Cheat? Like yeah. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I guess they were kind of one, one, one and the same for me. But cheat meal, um, I'm like a Five Guys Burgers, Burgers and Fries, that greasy paper bag. Um, just does something for me. All right. You gotcha. Well, uh, Jordan, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, could you let the listeners know where they can follow you at? Yeah, you can follow me at Jordan or wood at that's Twitter and Instagram. That's J O R D A N O R W O O D. Um, and you can follow, follow the whitelist on Instagram at the whitelist.io. Um, we're actually about to change our branding to the aces. So that might change here pretty quickly. But um, the whitelist.io on Instagram and the whitelist.io on Twitter.